Great. Well, I should have said, really, I'm James. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We've not met before. Um, we are in a series called uh, Joy on the Journey, going through the book of Philippians. Just a book recommendation. This book here called Joy Unspeakable. I was reminded of it the other day. It's by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's a fantastic book about um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives each of us. It says that the Spirit... Um, kind of gives gifts to the family and equips us to serve, just as we've been praying that Joy would be equipped to serve. He equips each of us to have a role in church life. And so this is a brilliant book. Um, it's, uh, it's fairly dense. It's written by somebody who has lived mostly in the last century and in the early part of it. So uh, he was an, an amazing church leader and really uh, laid, the, laid the foundations for what we kind of now understand as kind of the... Uh, charismatic renewal that happened in the kind of 70s and 80s that, uh, that many of you will have experienced, well before my time of course, but um, and he really laid the groundwork for that, uh, was um, led Westminster Chapel. Um, so it can be a little bit wordy in parts, but there's absolute gold in here. So if you want to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what it means, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is well worth having. Um, there's lots of uh, chapters that are in fairly shortish chunks, so you can just read a chapter at a time. And um, yeah, so I heartily recommend that. Martin Lloyd Jones, Joy Unspeakable. I thought that was worth recommending, given we're doing a series on joy. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians two, chapter uh, chapter two, verses nineteen to thirty. I'm going to read the passage in a second, so and it will come up on the screen. So don't worry if you don't quite have a Bible with you. Um, I wonder if you've ever been on one of those road trips where it wasn't really about the destination you were arriving at, but it was more about the journey and more about the fun of it. Been on one of those journeys where actually just the enjoyment of doing the journey was was part of was was really the experience. Um, I think I've told you before of a stag do I went to um, years ago uh, with three other mates. We were going to Anglesey, just no short drive. <laughs> As I discovered, I didn't really know where Anglesey was. Somebody said near Wales. I thought, great, let's drive there. And set off, and it turned out to be quite a long way. And we got quite close, and um, I thought, well, there'll be another petrol station around the corner. Although in rural Wales, that isn't something you should think, as I discovered, as we chugged to a slow stop, and we had to kind of like roll down the hill to the petrol station. Unfortunately, it wasn't that far away. And it was a great time with friends. We ate together. We stopped a few times. Oh, the fun was in the journey. Re- recently, I went to watch Norwich play... Liverpool in the FA Cup fifth round in Liverpool, 8.15pm on a Wednesday evening. And uh, I mean, I didn't really go for the football, if I'm to be honest. I thought we were going to get smashed. It wasn't that bad, but we did lose, and it, was, it wasn't the most exciting match in the world. But I went with my dad. Coach travel was for free. I thought if my dad's free, I get six, seven hours on the coach with my dad. We get to catch up and spend quality time together. Bit of a an evening and early morning out together. We arrived back in Norwich at 4.30 in the morning, walked an hour back to his house. He drove me back here. I mean, it was, you know, it doesn't sound that much fun, it really, does it? <laughs> but it was all, it was the, the joy of the journey, actually spending time with, with my dad was, was really special. I wonder what those journeys were for you, those road trips where it was just special because of the journey, maybe the company, the purpose, the food, uh, the memories... Um, we could dismiss this passage that we're going to read today as just simply travel plans. Who's going where, why they're going, all that kind of stuff. 
um, but actually we'll miss some on, out on some really beautiful insights into what it means to be church together on uh, mission and to be, have joy together on the journey. And if you're ever tempted to feel kind of like a bit disillusioned with church life, and let's face it, all of us can feel like that from time to time, can't we? Just a little bit kind of, ugh, a bit flattened and a bit disappointed, a bit disillusioned, then I hope this passage today will be an encouragement to you. So let's read together uh, Philippians 2, 19 to 30. Paul, who's in prison, writes this to the church in Philippi, and he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. He's hoping that they'll heal divisions amongst them and be united again. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's talking about some opponents uh, that uh, he has. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me uh, with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, how my trial will turn out and whether I'll be released or not. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Is expecting to be released. Um, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus had gone from Philippi. He was at, he's based in the church there and had travelled to where Paul was in prison to deliver a gift to help Paul financially while he was in prison because prisons didn't look after people in those days. People had to visit them and provide all their needs. So Epaphroditus had brought money to help do that and to serve Paul while he was there in prison. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him also, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service uh, to me. So three, three or possibly four things, depending on how we do time-wise. First thing is that uh, joy in travelling together, the first way we can have joy travelling together uh, through life as a church is through the cut and thrust of human life. I don't know what you're like, but sometimes you read in the Bible and it's really tempting to read it in the abstract, isn't it? And the theoretical. And to forget that there's real people living human lives who are writing these books for us. And that they've come to us, but they're real stories, real people behind them who had real lives going on. We can kind of sometimes divorce what we're reading from the nitty gritty of real life. But passages like this stop us from doing that. It's tempting to think some of the things written in the Bible, especially that Paul writes, where he's talking in these letters about joy and glad for, uh, gladness and cheerfulness, and like Paul's kind of like floating on a cloud in some kind of like different sphere of life where he, nothing ever troubles him, and life's all okie dokie all the time. Um, it's just love and grace and healings, and then you read chapter four in this book. Don't be anxious about anything, and you think. Is Paul, like, living the same kind of life that I am? Does he know what life is like? Is this guy really in prison? Um, are people really having to come and meet his most basic needs because they're not being met in prison? And you kind of, kind of read it in the abstract, but 
passages like this, and if you read 2 Corinthians, they kind of stop us from thinking like that. They were living real life in the nitty-gritty, the cut and thrust of uh, human existence and all of the frailties and challenges and difficulties that we face. Epaphroditus' health was clearly in the balance on the journey. He'd, He'd got ill, it was a dangerous journey, a costly one, and he'd got sick and his life was in danger. Um, he's probably traveling from Philippi to pro- probably Rome. Um, and Paul was concerned for his friend's life. There was a possibility for Paul of the sorrow of his present difficulty in prison being added to with the death of a dear friend and the grief that would have caused him. Being a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean divorcing our life and our emotions from, uh, nor denying the realities of human life, of suffering, of the fact that we're just humans. We're not disconnected from life's troubles. You don't become a Christian, something, something, suddenly everything is kind of light and fluffy. And you don't really kind of experience the difficulties of life fully. We do, and they clearly did in this passage. Uh, we don't have to force a smile through every situation. <laughs> I must maintain this smile, even in the most difficult situation. It just, we don't have to pretend in that way. Um, Jesus is the one we follow and worship, isn't he? He's our saviour God who became a human being, lived normal life like us. He had siblings. He had to grow up and learn and be educated around others. He had the difficulties of normal family life. Um, He reads some of the passages in scripture and there are times when his family are giving him a hard time. You shouldn't be doing that. And uh, he had all, all the normal, usual challenges of of everyday human life. He knows what it's like to go through challenge and difficulty. He was beaten, spat on, he was whipped, he was mocked and brutally executed. The stuff in scripture, when you read the Bible, is the nitty-gritty, the cut and thrust of human life. God knows all about that in Christ. He's experienced it. And so we need to make sure that when we talk about life, we're sharing things in house group. There's a freedom to just talk about the nitty-gritty and the cut and thrust of human life with all of its pain and all of its difficulty and all of its injustice and all of its challenge, not sanitizing and covering up what, what we're actually experiencing. We're all humans at the end of the day, aren't we? So we all have something in common in that we're experiencing life that way to differing degrees depending on how life is panning out for us. But we don't need to have the pretense that following Jesus means we're removed from all of it. It was no small thing for Epaphroditus to make this journey. It was probably a month long, 745 miles along the Via uh, Ignatia to serve Paul. He possibly walked it. So you think that kind of distance, blisters on his feet, dangerous journeys, carrying cash, costly, to bring practical assistance to Paul. Basically, he went to get his hands dirty. You think what prison life would have liked and what meeting his basic needs might have looked like. Paphroditus wasn't going to some kind of polished church conference (laughs) as an apostle. He was carrying a gift to bring practical assistance to a man in great need in difficult conditions. Mission sometimes involves risk, doesn't it? Living life as a follower of Jesus sometimes involves risk. Epaphroditus, it says in verse 30, risked his life. 
And it's important to remember that, isn't it? Because we live in a culture that doesn't really love risk. We like risk assessments. We like health and safety. I'm not mocking these things. These things are important. I get that. But there is a certain kind of pumped-up nature about it, isn't there? About health and safety. We live in a culture of injury lawyers for you. Um, We live in a, a world of caution, really. But the gospel is one in where we make decisions that otherwise, without God in the equation, wouldn't make sense, that look risky. Epaphroditus risked his life. This journey wouldn't have made sense to the everyday normal person, but he risked his life for it. And mission involves getting our hands dirty. Um, I was reading of uh, some of the work that's going on, some of the New Frontiers churches from around the world are supporting the effort in uh, the situation in Ukraine. And one of the things that people are doing is teams of four are going out to help a refugee, a church-based refugee centre in Warsaw across the border in Poland. And people are going, living in the most basic circumstances, not being any trouble to the people there, lifting and shifting all day long to make sure that refugees have the resources they need and supplying their need. Sometimes mission is, is getting our hands dirty, isn't it? And it involves risk. And in that situation, in the middle of these risky situations where we're getting our hands dirty, that's where we can experience God's mercy, isn't it? In this situation, it talked about God had mercy on them. They experienced God's mercy in the fact that Epaphroditus was healed. They experienced mercy in the fact that Paul didn't have to grieve the death of a friend. They experienced mercy in the fact that Paul received help from the Philippians through Epaphroditus. We experience God's mercy through the difficulties of life. And it brings joy. In this passage, joy in healing, joy in not losing a friend, joy in receiving Epaphroditus back in good health despite hearing his life was in danger. And joy in knowing that they'd been a help to Paul in a time when he really had need and they were absent from him. And the good news is that in the cut and thrust of human life, through the nitty and gritty, through risk and uh, getting our hands dirty, we can experience God's mercy and his goodness towards us. Uh, the second thing is this, is that um, they travel together with concern for others. Jesus' concern for others. Let's have a look at verse 21. It's a bit of a kind of funny line in the middle of an otherwise paragraph that makes sense. He says, for they all, talking of his opponents, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. They seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So what Paul's saying is that the interests of others is, or are, whichever is grammatically correct, are the interests of Jesus. The interests of others are the interests of Jesus. I think what he's saying is that love of God is expressed in love for our neighbor. Love for God is lived out by loving our neighbor. Jesus teaches that, doesn't he? He says, whenever you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. When you, did, when you served the least of these, you did it for me. In fact, Jesus so identifies with those in need, he feels such a strong withness with them in their difficulty and in their need, that serving that person in need is serving the interests of Jesus Christ. 
And so we've seen this already in uh, chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. If you can flick your eyes there, it says this. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. This is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Uh, let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Same thing that's written here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. I.e., having concern for others is thinking like Jesus. Because that's the way that Jesus thinks. So thinking like that is having his mind, is to think like him. And we see this lived out in this passage in the lives of Paul, of Timothy, of Epaphroditus. We see it in Paul, in his concern for the Philippians when he writes to them. We see it in his concern in sending Timothy to them to help heal the divisions that are in the church. We see it as he sends Epaphroditus back to them, knowing that they're concerned that Epaphroditus is ill and he wants to send them back so they'll be put at ease and get the joy of seeing him healthy again. We see it in the life of Timothy, because Paul was sending Timothy because he was confident, this man thinks like Jesus. He'll be genuinely concerned for you like Jesus is concerned for others, and he'll help you to heal the divisions from among you. Tim, Timothy was a young, often nervous, unconf- unconfident uh, young man who had an issue often with timidity. He had poor, good, uh, poor health from time to time, we know from other letters, but Paul says, that he's proven to think like Jesus. He's proven that he can think like Jesus. He wouldn't send others who are self-serving. He'll only send Timothy because he's genuinely concerned for other people. Epaphroditus shows it in his concern for Paul. He risks his life to take the long journey with the gift to serve Paul. And he nearly dies. That is thinking like Jesus, isn't it? Jesus literally did die out of the interests of others, because he was concerned for others. And Epaphroditus, like Jesus, lays down his life for his friends, to the point where he nearly dies as a result of it. The Philippians had received news of Epaphroditus' illness and were concerned for him, and this caused Epaphroditus distress. The same word is used, you know, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's distressed, yeah, and he's pouring out his prayers to God. Lord, if this can be taken away from me, please take it. Just before he goes to the cross, that's the kind of distress that Epaphroditus had. Because news had got back to Philippi, he was ill, and he was concerned for how they might be experiencing it. I had an experience of that once. I went to Uganda as a fresh 18-year-old, and uh, I'd landed there, lived there maybe two, three weeks, and I dislocated my knee trying to keep up with the Ugandan football team that I was training and coaching. Total mistake. I should have just been explaining what to do rather than trying to get involved. My knee went bang, and a horrible dislocation. I screamed for about two minutes, and uh, they didn't know me that well, and they, they, were, they were pretty concerned. Put me in bed. My knee ballooned like a bowling ball, and I was bed-bound for a week. And obviously, this is long enough ago that I wasn't on my bed just... FaceTiming my mum, going, no, it's all right, mum, my knee's just like a bowling ball. No. An email went through the centre manager back to home. This has happened to James. He's bed-bound. And obviously, you know, mum and dad at home, uh, my poor boy. <laughs> yeah. And I was sitting there bed-bound for a week thinking, oh, I'd really love to get on the phone to mum and dad and just reassure them that at the end of the day, all I'm doing is lying in a bed. And the worst thing, you know, is trying to get to the toilet with a makeshift uh, what do they call that? A, Z- a Zimmer frame. I'd like a chair that I use as a Zimmer frame 
to go 20 yards down the hallway to try and get to the toilet. Um, it took me about 10 minutes to get there and back. Um, but you, you feel a sense of distress if you had, a, had that experience that others, they're, they're concerned for me. I want them to know that actually everything's okay. Epaphroditus was in that situation. And there's joy in this, isn't there? Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. Part of the joy of the Christian life is you give your life away serving others, don't you? You give it up for others out of concern for them. And it brings us joy following Jesus who gave his life up for us. Uh, you might have heard of Jim Elliott, the missionary who went to um, tribes in South America. He flew in with other friends and they were martyred. They're trying to reach out to them, uh, bring the gospel, bring help. And uh, they, were, they were murdered, executed, and uh, martyred for their faith. Uh, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, went on to uh, write several books. And in one of them, she says this, The world looks for happiness through self-assertion. But in Christianity, we know that joy is found in self-abandonment. Not in self-assertion, in self-abandonment. Jesus says this, If a man will let himself be lost for my sake he will find his true self. If a man will let himself be lost for my sake, he will find his true self. So at every moment, it's worth... I've obviously set a timer for myself. Um, I forgot that I'd set that alarm. Um, when we're thinking... There are times, aren't there, where you get swallowed up by your own concerns in life. There's lots going on sometimes, isn't there? And actually, one of the things that can lift us out of that and bring us joy is taking our eyes off ourselves, as those concerns are real, aren't they? But taking our eyes off ourselves and serving others can bring us real joy through those difficulties. When we think like Jesus, live our life like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, and give our life away serving others. And uh, there's many stories of that happening in church life that we probably don't hear about where you guys are serving one another, laying your life down for each other, showing genuine concern for each other. I'm convinced that in heaven there'll be a time when stories that were never seen, never heard, never told, are told, and everyone gets to see the glory of what it looked like to think like Jesus and have concern for others. Can you imagine just some big cinema screen, all of heaven just sat kind of watching these amazing stories. You think, you know when you go to cinema and you see one of those stories that just makes you blub? I've got a few like that. Blind, is, it, is it Blindside? Blindside. That makes me cry every time. <laughs> and I can just imagine film after film of people showing uh, the love and kindness of God to others. And of course, there's ways for us to do that in life, isn't there? With friends, family, neighbours looking out for their interests. There's ways of us doing it in church life, in house group, in relationship with one another. Joining a serving team and serving in some way. If you're sitting there thinking, oh, what, what have I got to give? What have I got to bring? How can I give my life away to serve others? Then just come and speak to somebody, maybe who's leading an area of church life or one of us elders. We'd love to fit you into serving in church life in some way. A third thing is... Uh, traveling together as family in friendship. The chances are, like me, that when I asked you that question about the road trips that you remembered, it might have been because of the company that you had on the journey, like doing it with my dad or doing it with my friends. And the whole language of this letter is language of family, of friendship, of deep affection 
and love for one another. It's you see the love between Paul and the Philippians, Paul and Timothy, Paul and Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus towards Paul and to his fellow Philippians. It's there in the way that Paul honours Tim and Epaphroditus in the letter as well. Paul calls Epaphroditus his brother. He says, he's my brother. He's part of the same family. Belongs to the family of God. He's experienced God as father. He calls Timothy his son. It's family language. That's what friendships in church look like. That's what helps us to have joy as we travel together. He calls Epaphroditus his fellow co-worker. This sense of, he's kind of, put his hand to the plough with Paul at times. He's been a key worker in the gospel, have been alongside one another in uh, God's purposes together. He uses this word, uh, synagogue. They're coming together of two parts to have a greater effect than the individual parts. That's, what, that's a good picture of church life, isn't it? Others coming together to have a greater effect than we would have had apart. One of the things that um, we often... I heard in the early days of New Frontiers is that we can do more together than we can apart. And you can see that at the moment with the response to the Ukraine, don't you? And we did, I mean, it was great. The sacrificial giving of church family here, we managed to give over £2,000 to the Ukraine appeal to help EDIC um, serve the churches out there. Together with others, we've done more than we could have on our own. And 90,000 plus euros has been, eh? 100. The 100,000 target's already been met for, ser- for financing Edic and his ministry over there to refugees in Ukraine. He calls um, Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. He uses this language of like, he's my comrade in the battle. He's my comrade, we're together in the f- fighting the good fight. You might have heard that story of that um, soldier in Afghanistan called Kyle Hockenberry. There's a really famous picture of him. Um, He uh, was near an IED when it exploded. He lost uh, both his legs and half of one of his arms in the explosion. And there's a picture of him lying on a bed in Afghanistan. And on the side of his body is tattooed um, this line, For those I love, I will sacrifice. For those I love, I will sacrifice. And that's what we see in this passage here. Like Kyle, Paul and his fellow soldier Epaphroditus, uh, their prime concern is not for their own safety and security, but love, love for family and for friends on the journey. Jesus says, doesn't he, greater love has no one than this, and he lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest friend you can have. Of course, Jesus is the greatest friend to us, isn't he? He has laid down his life, literally on the cross, for us. And so, in response, we delay down our lives for others. But what kind of family was this? What kind of family was this? To give you a bit of their backgrounds, Paul is like a Jew of the Jews. He's a trained Pharisee from a city called Tarsus in Turkey. You've got Epaphroditus, who's a, a pagan from Macedonia, living in Philippi in Greece. You've got Timothy, whose dad is Greek, but his mum's Jewish from Turkey, and then you've got them serving this church in Philippi in Greece. It's pretty eclectic, isn't it? Um, Ephesians 2, 15 to 16 speaks about Jesus creating in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, so that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
what he's talking about is hostility between Jew and Gentile being uh, non-Jews and Jews being broken down and there's been this wonderful new man in Christ, this new family where divisions of race and culture and background and class, etc. just don't matter anymore. And uh, this wonderful new man in Christ we see here in this passage, this eclectic group that are showing brotherly and sisterly love and kindness towards one another as the family of God. Because Jesus is bringing together and uniting a people of every nation and tribe and tongue. We see that in this passage, but we see it in what's going on at the moment. The love of Jesus expressed in concern for others crosses borders of race, location, culture, and class. You know, folks going out to Warsaw and helping in that church-based refugee centre, they're crossing all sorts of borders to get there, not just literal ones. That's what the family of God looks like, isn't it? We're family. We're in friendship. As we travel together, it brings us joy. Um, I just wanted to speak uh, at the end here, just for a moment, on the Homes for Ukraine scheme that you might have heard the government uh, have announced and start activated, I think, was it Friday or last Friday? And um, just give you a bit of an update on that. Um, there'll be more information coming out in e-news midweek about how we might be able to hope, but, uh, help. But some of us might be thinking about whether we could host Ukrainian refugees in our own homes and maybe have a family uh, stay with us. Um, as a wider family of churches in relational mission, we've established a, a strong link with a long-standing friend of Mike Betts called Alex. And Alex has uh, churches in, serves churches in both Ukraine and in Poland. And relational mission is able to make a link between church members here in relational mission churches and believers there in churches in the Ukraine and in Poland. Um, so that's a possibility. If you're exploring doing that, then, then that's a possibility. There's a form that we'll send out midweek that you'd need to complete. Um, as part of it, it says discuss it with an elder because we'd like to make sure that you've got the support you need um, in order to host a family from Ukraine and we'd like to make sure that we've got this, the ability and capacity to support you in that if we're going to be the ones that make the link. And uh, just to say that we've got a lot of learning to do on that haven't really got all the answers. Need to find places of support in the local community and from amongst us to help that happen well. Um, the other thing is to say um, that supply is outweighing need. So if you're really hoping that this is something you'll be able to do, then uh, feel, please feel free to express your interest in this. But just so you know that what we're already finding is that lots of people are offering and not many people are needing to come. Um, but we never know what the future might hold. Um, you know, it might be that actually Ukrainians do end up wanting to come here to the UK. But as we're, what we're finding at the moment is that not many of the Ukrainian believers actually want to leave their homeland or even a country nearby to come to the UK. But we can express our interest, open ourselves up, and then we, we don't know what the future might hold. Obviously, there's not to do in terms of thinking about the impact of hosting, pastoral support required, needs of refugees who are arriving, the trauma they've been through and the local support that will be available, so we need, we'll be doing that in the background. Uh, but we want to live out what we're, what we're reading here in Philippians 2, don't we? And respond in ways that are appropriate for how the Lord has called us. You know, each of us has got different callings, got different challenges in life, different capacity to help. 
So please don't hear that we're saying you should all open up your home. That spare bedroom you've got, make sure you, you express your interest. We know you've got a spare room. No, we're not. We're not, <laughs> we're not, we're not doing that. Um, we understand that not all of us will, will be able to do that, and it might just actually be, be a few of us. Um, but maybe if it does happen in the future, there'll be other ways of supporting practically those who are hosting refugees. So if you feel you've got faith for that, do express the interest when we send out the, the info. There's also some other ways we might be able to support the Warsaw Church-Based Refugee Centre practically. Um, I'm just waiting to hear back clarity on what the need is and what it would look like for us to help there. And if any opportunities come, come through on that, then we'll let you know and gather us to it. Um, and the final thing to say is, if you've got faith for taking in refugees from any background, not just one that might have made a link between churches, then we'd recommend Krish Kandia's Sanctuary Foundation. Um, they're organizing a scheme where they're making links between people. Um, Krish Kandia runs Homes, uh, Home for Good. You might have heard of that organization. He's led the Evangelical Alliance in the past. He's a reliable, trustworthy leader here in the UK and running a, a good scheme. And he's got lots of information on how you can open your home up to refugees on his website. So we'll send that out with it too. I think that was everything. The final point I'll say really briefly was to have joy on traveling together. We need to be persuaded of the Lord's purposes. Part of the telling you this morning about the building is that we're persuaded that God has spoken to us something as a family. That we feel that God wants us to have a center, a hub where we serve our community from. Being persuaded of what God has said, therefore, we pray into it, don't we? We kind of trust that God's leading us somewhere with it, uh, whether it's this building or another. We, we're persuaded of the Lord's purposes amongst us, that one, he wants us to serve the community, and two, that he's spoken about us having a building to do it. And we see that in this passage, that uh, Paul is confident in the Lord, verse 19 that Timothy's visit will achieve its purpose. He says in verse 24, it's not a, a wish that he'll get out, but he's persuaded that in the Lord, his plan is to release him from prison so he can serve others. If we're to have joy in the journey, we need to not be kind of like, oh, no, no. when Peter shared that, and when I shared that earlier today, I hope you didn't get the sense that, oh, we wonder how this, what, what did God really say it? Are we... We're not thinking that. What we're, just, what we're saying is, the Lord has said this. This has happened. I wonder what might come of it. Let's pray for a good outcome. And whatever that might be. And frankly, none of us have got a clue what a good outcome is, do we? But that's, that's why we're, we're confident in the Lord's purposes for us. And then we, we pray off the back of that. Is that all right? Came to quite an abrupt ending there, didn't I? I didn't really think about that. Van, do you want to come up and we'll, we'll sing? Should we stand?